Welcome to the Not Just a Pony Ride podcast, presented to you by Hetra University. If you've landed here, you're probably passionate about how horses help people. This podcast is for anyone who helps others experience the benefits of horses or those who have experienced it themselves. If you're in the equine assisted services industry, we're here to help you. If you're here just to learn more, you're in the right place. Welcome to your community of like-minded people where you will hear stories, education, science, and explanations about how what we do is so much more than just a pony ride. And now, from the Hetra campus in Gretna, Nebraska, here's your host, occupational therapist and CTRI, Katie Ott. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Today, I am bringing you a sort of part three in a series, a very informal series, (laughs) that I occasionally do spotlighting different diagnoses. And we have in the past done autism, and then we also, I also did a, a episode on cerebral palsy. And so if you haven't heard those, go back and listen to those if you're interested. But really what we're trying to do with these episodes is that to keep informing our instructors and therapists and those that are in our field about diagnoses and kind of the generalities of them so that we can more fully understand them and then help our participants be as successful as they possibly can. And so um, I am not a physician or a specialist, you know, in any of these one diagnoses, but I am an occupational therapist and my job as an OT is to um, help people be as functional and successful in whatever activity they choose um, and while living their life with any disability. So I'm going to bring you information today about ADHD and ADD. Um, If you didn't know, ADHD is one of the most prevalent neurodevelopmental mental health conditions that is diagnosed in childhood um, right now. And it's a diagnosis that we see a lot here at Hetra. I think that it can be a little bit confusing just because of of the differences between the two, um, exactly what it all means. I just, I think it's getting diagnosed more and more. So um, I just really am hoping to shed some light on the diagnosis itself and then get into some tips and tricks that we can use to actually help our participants in the arena be as safe and successful as possible um, if they have a diagnosis of ADHD or ADD. Um, Let's get to it. So ADHD is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and the ADD is attention deficit disorder. Let's just kind of specifically start first about like attention, right? These are both inattention related difficulty with that. Attention is just really being able to orient and focus and shift your attention, sustain your attention for long periods of time. Um, It's really the ability to actively process information uh, while tuning out other details. When I was in grad school, I had a professor kind of relate it to think of your attention like using a highlighter. So when you read a passage out of a book, you kind of pick out specific key facts to help you understand things. Those specific things stand out to you, so you highlight them, and then that helps you kind of understand the passage as a whole. So your highlighter is like your attention, right? But it's so much more than just being able to focus on that one that one important thing that stood out, it's your ability to filter out all of the other information that maybe wasn't as important or that you didn't need to help you understand. So the stuff that you didn't highlight, um, sometimes that's where some of the difficulty comes from with attention disorders. It's 
Um, we have difficulty attending to a task or an activity or an instruction, um, but we also have difficulty filtering out all of the other things around us and information that's coming at us too. So um, it really, it, we'll, we'll get into the differences between the two and kind of the specific symptoms, I guess, that go with, with each side of that. But really what we're looking at is just developmentally inappropriate levels of attention. So for your age, you can't, you know, hold the attention, um, sustain the attention or, or get the attention that you need to complete activities in your daily life. The second part of that is that it has to be impairing some kind of adaptive functioning like at home or school or social situations. So not only do we, we have that kind of um, in, inability to maintain your attention, but it's also really starting to impact your life in more than one area. So, you know, for adults at work and at home, for kids at school and at home, or, you know, with your friends, with your peers, that kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of how they get into diagnosing it as not just, well, I kind of have a, you know, I'm kind of distractible, and you have ADD or ADHD is that you're really seeing a lot of functional impact in your ability to do the things that you need to do in it in your day-to-day life. Um, as far as how it's diagnosed, there really isn't a, a biological test, you know, like a blood test or something that confirms that you have ADHD or ADD. Um, but really it's just interviews and rating scales, assessments um, that psychologists use to kind of rule in or rule out symptoms um, and make the diagnosis. Again, we're going to make sure that um, kind of the list of symptoms I'm talking about, they, the psychologist would want to see that present in more than one, you know, setting of your life and that they result in that functional impairment. So um, the difference between ADD and ADHD really relies, uh, really lies, excuse me, in the um, description of the symptoms. And so stay with me. I'm going to sort of just paraphrase the DSM-5, which the DSM-5 is kind of the the Bible of, of symptoms and diagnoses that physicians use to, um, to diagnose different things. So anyway, the, the class of diagnoses for attention disorders is described like this. So you, you really either have inattention, so just inattention, ADD, okay, attention deficit disorder, okay, or the hyperactivity, so you have the attention deficit hyperactivity, um, disorder or a combination of the two. So we'll kind of talk about both. The combination is definitely um, from the the research and the stats that I've seen definitely more diagnosed, um, the combo type. So we'll talk a little bit about all. Inattention. So the diagnosis ADD. So we're talking about just the attention deficit side of things. So these folks might have difficulty with like overlooking or missing details sustaining attention for an age appropriate amount of time. So that's going to look a lot different for children than it does for adults. So thinking about what is age appropriate for sustained attention. They might not listen when spoken to directly or seem really distracted, Um, not following through on instructions or duties as they were assigned, getting sidetracked, difficulty um, staying organized. You might be really, or this person might be really messy, lose things, that type of thing. Um, this person also might dislike or avoid tasks that require sustained mental effort. Things like a big project or a big assignment, 
something that they know is going to take a ton of mental energy and attention, they might completely avoid at all um, costs. Um, overall, they're just distracted by other stimuli and other things other than what you know needs to be keeping their attention um, in order for them to be successful. So um, those are the kinds of things that you see in, in attention deficit disorder as a whole. Now, in order to have the attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, so the ADHD, there's more criteria. So these this person might be really fidgety, tapping your hands and feet, kind of squirmy, leaving your seat in situations where remaining seated is expected. So it's just, it's really difficult to sit still. Um, they might run around or climb around in situations where it's inappropriate Um, unable to play or participate in leisure activities quietly. Often they are on the go. They're just really uncomfortable sitting still. They're moving a lot, um, talking excessively or blurting out, overall more impulsive, trouble waiting, um, interrupting people, that type of thing. So these are the more of the hyperactive side of ADD. So it's possible to have the inattention piece or the ADD without some of these hyperactive things. But, but if many of the symptoms from both exist, then it would be considered the combined type. And like I said, combined is one of the more commonly diagnosed forms. Um, and it's often associated with dual diagnoses. So you uh, might see this participant has might have ADHD and another type of um, diagnoses. And I actually, there was an interesting fact um, that I read in some research that it's there is an association between hyperactive symptomology and oppositionality and other types of mood disorders. So um, just overall really having a hard time following directions and being um, – defiant and other kinds of mood disorders like anxiety and depression and those types of things. So there is kind of an association between those hyperactive symptoms and and mood disorders, which I think is interesting. But it's really just important to remember that ADHD as a whole, ADD, it doesn't have a single presentation. So it's different for everyone. It's a neurological um, disorder. So everybody's brain is different and everybody's going to um, exhibit different symptoms in different ways. This episode of the Not Just a Pony Ride podcast is sponsored in part by Equiforce. Equiforce is a database that allows you to track every facet of your organization, from horse, donor, and volunteer management, to scheduling, grant tracking, incident reports, and tracking participant progress, too. This is not a one-size-fits-all setup. Instead, Equiforce personally works with you to learn how your facility functions and takes note of your specific terminology so that they can create a unique system to match the needs of your organization. And of course, Equiforce provides an ongoing training and support so that your database can grow with you. Visit them at www.equiforce.com. That's E-Q-U-I-F-O-R-C-E.com. When people with ADHD are children, a big concern for families is the academic achievement side of things. Um, and, and just acquiring new skills in general. So those with ADHD do have difficulty with verbal memory and like listening comprehension and just organization of, of any verbal or written material at all, which we know as when we're in school, 
that's a lot of it, right? It's a lot of reading and writing, um, especially, and as you get older, you go to work, you do a lot of reading and writing, um, acquiring new skills, um, requires that. So even though they're, you know, in the absence of cognitive impairment or language impairment, so they might, they have any of, you know, any cognitive impairment at all, but it's important to remember that, you know, you have to have attention to learn information. So they might, you know, cognitively be able to learn all kinds of things, but it's that attention piece where we need to, um, you know, sustain that attention or, you know, quote, quote unquote, sit still long enough to learn these new skills um, or, you know, new academic things. So it's kind of the same thing with social interactions too, especially with that hyperactive part of things, because the turn taking, um, you know, impulsiveness and blurting out and interrupting and all of these things are, I'm going to make peer-to-peer relations more difficult. And so I, I read some interesting facts that it said that children with ADHD tend to overestimate their social competency um, and that they just don't recognize that they have these kind of maladaptive behaviors like the, you know, um, interrupting and blurting out and impulsiveness and some of these things. Um, so it can be difficult to remediate. Again, they're may not be any cognitive impairment or learning in, or language impairment. It's just that, you know, attention and kind of a impulsive hyperactive part of it um, that can be difficult to remediate and kind of make changes to um, to make these things easier for them. So as as all symptom, symptoms can be different for different people, um, so is treatment. Treatment looks different for everyone for ADHD, but most often it includes kind of a combination of education about the diagnoses, what adaptations that, you know, the participant, um, the person who has ADHD or the family can make to be successful. Um, and then pharmaceutical options too. Everyone's, um, kind of knows about that, but let's talk about, um, more of the kind of adaptation side of things for us. So as instructors or therapists that are in the arena with our friends who have ADD or ADHD, um, there are a lot of things we can do to help them be really successful. First things first, I think it's most important to just stay patient and stay flexible. Um, so people with ADHD don't, they don't get distracted or, you know, misbehave per se on a way that that's on purpose. Okay. So they're not getting distracted on purpose. Um, it's a brain neurological connection that we need to help accommodate for and just help them to be successful. Um, so staying patient and gentle, um, throughout um, getting to know someone with ADHD or ADD is going to be really helpful. I think, you know, kind of the next thing is that we need to remember that it's attention-based. So we know that they're going to avoid or, you know, really not like activities or things that seem too hard or too complicated. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go in hot with um, some long, complicated explanation of a brand new skill, like, you know, the posting trot all in one day. Um, let's break things down into more manageable pieces and challenge them a little bit more appropriately. Um, we just need to remember that some of these participants that have more profound ADHD are, you know, if they're school age, they're getting extended time at school to take tests or they're getting shortened homework assignments. They're having some of these accommodations at school for their coursework for a reason. And so with every new skill they learn, it's going to take them a little more time to do and, and kind of attend to all those pieces and parts to really put it all together. So acquiring a new skill, like learning how to ride a horse is going to be very similar to when they go to school and learn new math problems, for example. Right? So be cognizant of that and just aware that we are going to have to break things down a little bit more. Now, 
you can, if that, if that's a little bit confusing to you. And sometimes as instructors, we, you know, I know a lot of you guys that are listening are very accomplished horse people. And so breaking things down into very small parts can be difficult when you know a task so well inside and out. So one thing I like to tell um, instructors and therapists to do is to do a task analysis if you need to. You can look up that word task analysis. There's a lot of really good stuff online about how to do that. But basically what you're doing is just thinking about each and every single step or requirement that's needed to complete a task. And obviously, the the better you know an activity, the less you have to break it down um, if you're teaching that to someone that knows that a little bit better. But for someone that's brand new learning an activity um, or task, you may have to break it down into very, very small pieces, smaller than you would even think. So um, look up task analysis and um, do some of that if you feel like you need some help on, on how to, how to break that down. Um, the next thing is to just give lots of breaks. So let them walk on the rail or give them a chance to chat with their sidewalkers a little bit. If they want to, um, give them a break from those very attention heavy tasks. Uh, I do know that, you know, some of you are thinking riding, you have to have attention to ride, especially if our writers are riding unhooked. Um, but, and so be cognizant of that. Writing isn't inherently, it's very attention heavy. We have to be keenly aware of all of our surroundings and what our horse is doing at all times. Um, so keep, keep that in mind and be safe. But sometimes it's, it's helpful for me to break some of those things down so that my um, participants can be more successful with, you know, a little bit less amount of time. I'll even set a timer sometimes for how long we're going to like work quote unquote (laughs) on a task that, um, can be more difficult for them. So maybe we are working on the posting trot and it's like super hard to find that rhythm. Like finding that rhythm takes a ton of attention and mental space for them or, um, finding that diagonal or whatever it is, maybe set a timer for five or 10 minutes. Okay. We're going to work on, you know, finding the rhythm or finding that diagonal for five minutes. And then we're going to take a break and do a pattern or do something else so that they can kind of know in their head how long that their their brain is going to have to really stay engaged in this task. Um, that can be really helpful for, for motivation too. So speaking of that, sometimes participants with ADHD can be more difficult to motivate, um, even just to, you know, keep on task, obviously. So one of my favorite strategies is to give choices and choices are super powerful. There is like nothing that's more motivating, I think, than getting to do whatever you want, right? So obviously we have to be mindful about what we need to get done, but giving them some freedom in that can be really, really powerful and motivating for them to to get to those tasks. So sometimes I'll make a list, like we need to do this, this, and this today. What do you want to do first? Or, um, you know, this or that, or that kind of thing where you still have some control over what those choices are, but giving them some autonomy in that can really help them, help them, you know, want to get on task and stay on task. Speaking of lists, those with ADHD respond really well to visual reminders. So anything visual that you can give them, the better. It really gives, um, those participants a point of interest to like keep their attention, So like using a map for a writing pattern or using a color cue for where to pick up the trot or where to walk. Like I said, using the written list, that kind of thing can really help participants um, know where to look next to keep their attention flowing from one thing, um, one thing to the other. 
one thing I like is if you have, I have riders that like to help get their horses ready using like a checklist of things that they need to do before they get ready to mount can be super helpful, helps them stay more organized. Um, like I said, stay on task and does motivate them to kind of like check things off to the one to the next. So, um, using any of those visual reminders can be really, really helpful. As far as keeping them engaged in tasks, movement is great. And this is going to be different for every participant, but these, especially participants that have ADHD, where they are a little bit more hyperactive and like to be moving, sometimes keeping them at the walk on a rail while giving them directions can be more helpful than maybe bringing them to a halt and giving them a direction. Um, because that movement is actually going to help kind of satisfy that part of the brain um, and keep them more attentive on the directions that you're giving them. Just those with ADHD tend to be more active learners in general. So they like to be hands-on, um, really engaged with kind of this try it, learn it sort of situation um, and experience things themselves. We obviously want people to be safe. So if we can help facilitate something in a way where they can be safe, but they can also try maybe a new skill by themselves and then troubleshoot it with you. You know, if we can do that in a safe way, that might actually be more impactful for their learning than just saying, this is how you do it, right? I was talking to someone the other day about backing a horse in an L, I think it was. And, you know, maybe if they already know how to back their horse safely, then, and they know how to steer and they know how to do some of these prerequisite things, maybe we let them try it and just see, you know, if they can, you know, as long as they can stay safe and make good choices, maybe we let them try it first and then say, well, what do you think went well? Or why don't you think that worked? Um, kind of allowing them to be more actively engaged in their learning can really make a big difference. And I guess as far as, you know, safety and those things are concerned, I think routines and expectations are going to be two really key things for our participants with ADHD and ADD. Um, keeping, you know, rules short and sweet and just build a regular consistent routine where they know what is exactly is expected, um, what's, you know, the safe behavior, the safe choices, um, and kind of what they should be doing. That way it can be more global. And as they learn, they know that that's kind of the baseline expectation from where they need to begin all of the other activities and things that we do in the arena. So on the same note of kind of consistency, I think pairing riders with a good consistent team can be super helpful. We know that's not always possible, right? Like keeping things routine and the same in the arena, working with live animals, not always the case, or, you know, volunteers with their schedules ever evolving and changing. Um, not always possible, but we just remember that those with ADHD are, you know, might need a little more supervision. Um, best case scenario is that we can allow our participants to be as independent as possible, but with that kind of layer of supervision that can give gentle reminders because this diagnosis comes with a level of just inherently comes with a level of forgetfulness and that distractibility piece, right? So say they forget that they need to have two horse links between their other horse friends in the arena and them. Um, do we have something in place to where we can kind of supervise and safeguard that? while also allowing them to try it themselves and really try to be independent. You know, having a good volunteer team can really be key for that to help give a, give those gentle reminders. But obviously, 
um, you know, we want to be safe. And as much as we, we want to be, you know, in a class of three or four participants, it's hard to micromanage every single thing. So I think that's something that we also need to keep in mind as we start to unhook participants and really start them, you know, on this independent journey of horsemanship um, is just keep that in mind that they might need more reminders and that type of thing. Um, so we could have the best of both worlds the independence and the safety if we just do a little bit of planning or place them with, you know, some key volunteers that we know could really help them. And I think sort of a, a theme, you know, a river that runs through all of these tips is that there's so many different ways to teach one skill. Um, and I think a lot of that comes down to the teaching strategies that we use. And that's not only helpful for just ADHD and ADD, you know, participants that have that diagnosis. It's really helpful for all learners to learn things in different ways. And so um, kind of as a side note, I did do a webinar on different learning strategies and teaching skills to help kind of teach to each of these different, you know, ways of learning. And I actually had planned for it to be the free webinar in August, but as a gift, I think I'm going to um, go ahead and launch that free webinar a week early for July and last week of July and then into August for our Patreon subscribers. So if you're listening and you are um, on our Patreon, and if you're listening and you're like, what the heck is Patreon? I'll describe it. So Patreon is our subscription-based service. Um, We post free webinars there every month, different administrative things like We shared our um, social media policy last month and some just other things that we're just trying to let people not have to recreate the wheel all the time. And so it's just another way to stay plugged in with Hetra and what we're doing and and really other, you know, centers and organizations, too. So head over to Patreon. It's um, only five dollars a month and you get lots and lots of cool things with that. Anyway, if you join you get that free webinar for this month. So that can be really, really helpful when you're starting to think about different diagnoses and different way to teach things because we just want people to be successful. And if all we, and if, you know, all we had to do as instructors is just change the way that we teach things just a little bit, that seems like an easy enough thing for us to do um, to help everybody really enjoy their experience. So, you know, learning some of the details about these diagnoses can really help us start to apply some of those different strategies and where we think they might go best. Again, I'm not an expert, but my background as an OT can really, I think, help give you some general information and tips and tricks for helping um, everybody be as successful as they can be. So that said, I think that about wraps it up for um, ADHD, ADD. If you have any questions, come over to the Facebook page and shout them out. Um, We're going to keep doing these kind of diagnoses spotlights um, here and there. So if you have a a diagnosis that you want to learn more about, let us know too. And maybe that will be the next one we do. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode. Until the next one launches, stay connected to our community by joining the Not Just a Pony Ride Facebook group. There we share exclusive educational content, answer your questions, and review new and exciting developments for the EAS community. Don't forget, if you have suggestions for future episode topics or a lead on a great guest that you think our audience would enjoy, click on the link in the show notes or visit us at hetrauniversity.org. This podcast is presented by Hetra University, an educational arm of the Heartland Equine Therapeutic Writing Academy. Hetra University's mission is to provide high-quality educational offerings to our participants and the EAS community. 
If you'd like to help us work toward our mission, you can make a donation by visiting us online at hetra.org. Again, I can't thank you all enough for helping Hetra change lives one stride at a time.